Tonight I'm starting a four-part series. A four-part series. This is part one of a four-part series. Part one will be tonight. Part two will be tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. at Living Hope Christian Center. Part three will be 11.15 at Living Hope. And part four will be next Saturday night here. So what I'm going to do is make sure all four messages go on both websites for both churches. So you don't have to come to Living Hope to get it. Just check, your web, check the, the ARC website during the week. And I'm going to put up both of those messages. And the next Saturday night you'll get part four. And uh, we'll put all four of them on both websites. Now tonight the topic is the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God. I'm doing a four-part series on the kingdom of God. And we need to talk about this subject because first and foremost... The kingdom of God, the subject of the kingdom of God, was the major burden of the preaching of Jesus. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. What he preached was the kingdom of God. The content of his gospel was the kingdom of God. Now, if you ask most believers, what is the gospel? They'll say it's the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But yet Mark 1.14 says that after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And what did he say? He didn't stand up and say, Hi, everyone, I'm going to die and be buried and rise again. That's not the gospel he preached. What he preached was the kingdom of God is near. Now, the meaning of that message, that the kingdom of God is near, the meaning of his death, burial, and resurrection is the kingdom of God. That is, yes, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is central to the gospel that we proclaim, but it's central to the gospel that we proclaim because it is the central reality that frames the message of the kingdom of God. What he came to declare was that God's kingdom is here and is among us. Now, what is a kingdom and what is the kingdom of God? Well, a kingdom, the word in the Greek is basileia, and a kingdom is a right to rule. If you have a kingdom, it means your kingdom is the realm within which you possess the right to rule. The realm within which you possess the right to rule. So you, your kingdom is the realm within which you have every right to go in and start calling the shots. You have every right to go in and change everything. You have every right to go in and move people out and move people in. It's your kingdom. You have the right to rule. You determine the law within that realm. It's your kingdom. You have the right to rule. What you say goes. You're not a tenant there. You're the landlord. You're the boss. When Jesus proclaimed that the kingdom of God was here, what he was proclaiming is that God had come to assert his right to rule. God has come to assert his right to rule. And so what I'm declaring to you tonight and what we are to proclaim is that God has come to declare his right to rule. And, and everywhere we go and proclaim that message, we are facing realities that oppose it. Satan really thinks he's in charge. Satan really thinks he's in charge. And Satan is constantly asserting his right to rule in the earth, but... In opposition, in the face of that demonic assertion, we come to bring the assertion of the gospel, which is that, no, 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 it looks like Satan's in charge, but actually, Jesus must reign until all enemies have been put under his feet, and then he's going to make an end of all power and authority and deliver the kingdom to God. Everything is coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ because the kingdom of God is here, and that's what it means. Now, we need to understand the relationship between the church and the kingdom of God. The church is not the kingdom of God, at least not 
exclusively. You can be in the church and not be in the kingdom. You can be in the church and have not entered the kingdom. Jesus said, in order to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Not have your name on a list. You can be in the church. You can be an elder. I remember one of my first evangelistic experiences back in the summer of 1998. I was preaching a revival in in, uh, Vancouver, Canada. And it was at a very conservative Presbyterian church. And when I gave the altar, I preached the gospel as strong as I knew how to preach. And at the end of the service, one of the elders came to the altar to get saved. And he was so excited, he, was so, he rejoiced so much in salvation that he took us all out to dinner. He said, I never heard the gospel preached before. I just got saved tonight. The youth pastor who invited me there came to the altar and got saved that night. These people had their name on the list in the church. Listen, let's get it straight. Going to church doesn't make you a, a believer in Jesus Christ any more than going to Taco Bell makes you Mexican. You say, if I just ate enough Taco Bell, they'll let me into Mexico. (laughs) Question is, will they let you out? (laughs) You can be in the church and not be in the kingdom, but you can't be in the kingdom and not be in the church. The church is an expression of the kingdom of God. It flows out of the kingdom. The kingdom does not flow out of the church. The church flows out of the kingdom. The kingdom doesn't come from the church. The church comes from the kingdom. And the kingdom doesn't exist for the church. The church exists for the kingdom. That means that the kingdom of God is not at our disposal. We are at its disposal. The kingdom of God is not an instrument that we weld to make us more powerful. That we are the instrument that the kingdom of God welds. It's not there for our purposes. See, there's so many believers that when we talk about the power and authority of God, we try to weld it for our own purposes. So let's just command things to happen and let's speak it in the Spirit. And and I command this and I command and I speak it into existence. We think that the kingdom of God is there for our own disposal. It's the other way around. We are here for His disposal, not He for ours. And that means that our survival is secondary to the furtherance and increase of the kingdom of God. That means that we will shut our doors in the process of expanding the kingdom of God instead of thinking that the kingdom of God will shut its doors to expand the church. The church exists for the kingdom, not the kingdom for the church. Now historically, we have seen throughout the Christian centuries that there have been more than one attempt to equate the church with the kingdom of God, and it's always ended up badly. And this is what it looks like. When the church sees itself as the kingdom of God, it sees its own expansion as God's number one priority in the earth. And so the church begins to make it its aim and goal to take over every echelon of human society and Christianize it. Let's take Christian values and Christian principles and make them the foundation for the new society. We saw it first in the time of Constantine in Rome. And it created Christian idolatry. Because Christianity became mandated. It became the number, it became the state religion of Rome and it was mandated. But what did you have? All these pagan temples. 
with all of these idols in them, and now they're forced to become Christian. So you know what they said? They said, this is now a church. And that's not Zeus. That's Joseph. That's the baby Jesus. That's Mary. And there was a crisis of genuine faith because the church thought if we simply begin to mandate Christian principles and influence society with them, we've brought the kingdom of God. And it didn't look anything like the kingdom of God. It looked like a syncretistic and idolatrous mess. Another example of that is what the phenomenon known as Christendom, which was Roman Catholicism's attempt to bring the kingdom of God on the earth through the Roman Catholic Church. The whole concept for Roman Catholicism, the church is the kingdom of God. And that means that the church must rule in the earth. And it gave birth to the Crusades of the 12th and 13th centuries. And it gave birth to legalism. And it gave birth to traditionalism and to religion. So we cannot equate the church. Jesus says very clearly, He says... The kingdom of God doesn't come by your careful observation. So that somebody can say, look, there, here it is. Look, there it is. It's not connected to a political agenda. So you say, we've got to promote this agenda. This is the kingdom of God. It's not connected to an educational concern. So we say, we've got to do this in the realm of education. This is the kingdom of God. It's not connected to the Occupy movement or the this movement or the that movement. It's not connected even to the human trafficking problem. It's not connected to any effort or endeavor that the church would set forth to say, we've got to do this because this is the kingdom. That's not the kingdom. The kingdom kingdom's more than that. The kingdom will speak to all of those things, but don't get it twisted and equate the kingdom with some ecclesial agenda or some political agenda or some educational agenda. Jesus says the kingdom of God is not something that you point to and say, here it is, there it is. No, the kingdom of God is within you. It's within you, Jesus says. And the word he used in the Greek is entos, meaning not just it's within you as in within your heart, it's among you. The kingdom of God is among you. It is an invisible reality, not a visible reality. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, or else my, my, my army would have fought for me. No, 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 no. My kingdom is not of this world. I didn't come to establish my kingdom in this world. One day my kingdom is going to come and take over this world. One day the, the cry is going to arise in heaven, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God. It used to be the kingdom of this world, now it's the kingdom of our God and of His Christ, and He will reign forever. But today is not that day. My kingdom is not of this world. I don't, I'm not working for this kingdom, and I'm not working within this economy. The kingdom of God is something far more subtle. Now, we see several passages in scriptures that tell us what the kingdom of God is like. And in every one of Jesus' parables, he says, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of heaven 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 is like. And whenever he uses the word like, he's describing it but not defining it. He doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is. He doesn't say the kingdom of God is, but he says it's like a man 
who was going on a journey, and he called his servants and gave them his property. And to one he gave five talents, another two talents, another one talent. And then he went away on a long journey. The one with the five talents immediately put the money to work and gained five more. The one with the two gained two more, but the one with the one buried it in the ground. And then when the master came back to settle accounts, the one with the five said, Look, master, you gave me five, I've gained five more. The one with the two said, Look, you gave me two, I've gained two more. But the one with the one dug it up and said, Here's your property. I knew you were a hard man. You reap where you have not sown. You gather where you have not scattered seed. So here's your property. I buried it in the ground. He said, get rid of that worthless servant and take that one talent and give it to the one who has ten. And then he says, here's the principle. Those who have, more will be given to them. But those who don't have, even what they have will be taken away from them. Now, does that define the kingdom? No, it describes one small facet of it. The parable of the talents, the parable of the the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds. But when it grows, it's the largest of all garden plants. It starts off small and becomes great. The kingdom of heaven is like a a man who was walking in a field and found a pearl of great price in the field. And when he found it, in his joy, he went and sold all he had and came back and bought that field. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like because you've got to sell all you have to possess it. It's worth giving up everything for. That's what the kingdom of... He keeps saying the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. But there are two primary passages of scripture in which the Bible defines the kingdom for us, not just describes it to us, but actually defines it for us. Those two passages of scripture are 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, and Romans chapter 14, verse 17. I want to start... I'm going to read those two passages... And we're going to focus on the first one. 1 Corinthians 4.20. It says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of word, but of power. The kingdom of God is not a matter of word, but of power. The second one is Romans 14.17. It says, The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if we put these two passages of Scripture together we have four components that make up the kingdom of God. Without these four components, you have something far less than the kingdom of God. The first component is power. The second is righteousness. The third is peace. And the fourth is joy in the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is among you. It's within you. You can't point to it and say it's here or there. It's not connected to an agenda. It's power It's righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy in the Holy Spirit. And I don't care how successful we are as a church, if we don't walk in power, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, we are not manifesting the kingdom of God. I don't care if we do another event with Nefarious and bring in 8,000 people to watch it. If we're not walking in power, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, we are not bringing the kingdom of God. I don't care if you get 8,000 artists from the Bay Area to come together and do big art shows that change the whole culture. If we're not walking in power, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, we are not bringing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is that internal reality that people look at your life and say, there's something different about you. There's something at work in your life that goes beyond what I've encountered, what I've experienced. There's some power there. There's some quality about your life that's different. Tonight I want to focus on 1 Corinthians 4.20. The kingdom of God is not a matter of word, but of power. The kingdom of God is, first of all, power. I want to talk about that word, power. 
The kingdom of God is power. What does that mean? The word in the Greek is dunamis. 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 It is the root word for the word dynamite. It's where we get the word dynamite from. It's explosive power. It's power. Now, I, I, I need you to understand a few things about that, the concept of power. In the Old Testament, now you all know there was a Greek translation of the Old Testament in the intertestamental period, and it's called the Septuagint. And what they did was they took the Hebrew Scriptures, they translated it into Greek so that all of the, the Jews of the dispersion from 365, they were dispersed throughout the, Roman, the, Greek, the Greek Empire uh, by Alexander the Great, and they, after a couple generations they spoke Greek and they didn't speak Hebrew, so they needed the Scriptures translated into their language, and so it was translated into Greek. Well, if you look in the Septuagint, the word that translates the word dunamis, the word power, that word dunamis appears again and again and again, it translates the Hebrew word kael. Kael, it's a guttural. Kael, you actually have to spit after you say it. You've got to carry tissue when you're studying Hebrew. Kael, and, it's tra- and, and in our English Bibles, the word kael, it appears 273 times in the Old Testament, and it's translated might. Might. It's, it's actually translated in many different ways, but the most common translation is might. It's also translated as valor. It's translated as wealth. It's translated as power. I'm going to give you just a few scriptures where this concept of Kael appears. Genesis 47.6, uh, Joseph had just brought his brothers to Egypt, you know, after the famine happened and the whole thing happened with his brothers. He brings his father and all of his brothers to Egypt And he brings them before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says this in Genesis 47, 6. He says, The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. So he gives them the best city of the land, the land of Goshen. And he says, And if you know any, the NIV says, or the New King James Version says, "If, If you know any competent men among them. Another translation, I think the NIV says, Men of special ability. The word in the Hebrew is men of kael. If any of them are men of Kael, might, men of power, he says, if there be any competent men among them, any men of Kael, make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Put them in charge. Literally, the word there in, the, in Hebrew is rulers. Make them rulers over my li- livestock. How would you like to be a ruler over some cows? and some? You know, let them rule my livestock. It's about, the kingdom of God is about rule. If there be any men of Kael, we see it again in Exodus chapter 14, verse 28. It says, Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all of the Kael of Pharaoh. The chariots, the horsemen, and all of the Kael of Pharaoh. It's talking about his army, his host. Okay? And again in uh, Exodus 18:25, Moses chose men of Kael out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers over thousands, rulers over hundreds, rulers over fifties, rulers over tens. Numbers 31:9, and the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive and their little ones and took as spoil all their cattle, all their flocks, and all their Kael, all of their wealth. All of their power. Deuteronomy 8.17. Now, now before I read Deuteronomy 8.17 and 18, I want to define this concept of Kael. Kael is anything that is organized to become a force. It is power in the sense that it takes something and organizes it and turns it into a force. You know, you can have a lot of money but not have Kael. But when you organize your money so that you begin to exert influence through, through money. 
Now you have Kael. You're a man of Kael. You can have a lot of people and not have Kael. But when you organize your people so that they become a force, that they begin to exert influence, now you've got Kael. That's why an army is called Kael. Wealth is called Kael. Men of special ability. You can have a lot of knowledge but not have Kael. But when you organize your knowledge so that it becomes a force and it begins to exert influence, now you've got Kael. Kael is anything that can be organized to become a force. It begins to exert influence. It begins to exert itself. And that is power. That's the concept of power in the Old Testament. And Kael is anything in your house that you can organize. You have Kael all around you. You just don't know how to organize it. Some of the most, some of the most brilliant people are the brokest people. Because they don't know how to organize their knowledge. <laughs> what was the comedian? He said, uh, by the way, I, I like telling racial jokes. But uh, the, <laughs> just to prepare you for this one. But this comedian, he said, you know, white people, when they're rich, they're rich for life. But when a black person gets rich, it's just a countdown to when they're broke. <laughs> you know? And you know what? That's kind of true. <laughs> But, but, you know, some people, it's like they can have all kind of money, but they don't have any Kyle. They're just out spending money frivolously and stupidly, and the next thing you know, they're broke. Somebody else gets $20, and they know how to organize that $20 and turn it into a force, and the next thing you know, they're a millionaire. It's about the power to organize. Now, watch this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 and 18. Now, Moses is warning them. Remember, the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' sermon to Israel. They're about to enter the promised land. They're coming to the end of the 40 years wandering in the wilderness. They're about to enter the promised land, and Moses wants to warn them. He wants to remind them of what God has done, and he wants to prepare them to possess the promised land. So Moses says, be careful when you enter the promised land and you eat the fruit of it and, and you plant vineyards and, and you, you, you grow crops and you, know, you have sons and daughters and you build houses. Be careful that you don't say in your heart, my power and my might, my hand have gained me all of this Kyle. So be careful that you don't look at all of the Kyle that you're about to get and say, my might and my hand and my power has gained me all of this Kyle. Verse 18 You need to remember that the Lord your God, he says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get Kyle. The Lord your God gives you the power to get Kyle, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. He says, remember, Kyle, your Kyle, it comes from the Lord. Doesn't come from the land, doesn't come from your smarts. You're not pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. You're not a self-made man. You didn't do it your way. It's the Lord your God who gives you the power to produce Kael. Couple more, couple more. Uh, Joshua 8.3. So Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 men of Kael and sent them away by night. It says here, men of valor, mighty men of valor. It says in the NIV. Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor. It says here, men of Kael. Couple more. 1 Samuel 9, verse 1. Uh, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. This is, this is Saul's father, King Saul's father. And it says he was a mighty man of power. He was a mighty man of Kael. I love this one. Second Samuel twenty-two thirty-three. David says, God is my strength and my Kael. God is my strength and my Kael, and he makes my way perfect. Second Samuel 24, 2. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the Kael. Job, Joab was called the commander of the Kael. 
David put him in charge of his Kael. He says, see all of this Kael? Talking about the army. That's his strength. That's his force. That exerts his power. Or last one, 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 2, speaks of the queen of Sheba. She heard of all of the wisdom of Solomon and of all of his wealth and all of his riches. She said, I just got to go see it. And it says in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 2, that the queen of Sheba came to Jerusalem with a very great Kael. She brought all of her Kael with her, meaning she brought fat, mad crew. Are you hearing me? All right, that should be enough, right? Uh, There's a lot more. But anyway, it, it appears 273 times. Every time it appears, until the book of Zechariah, it appears in a positive sense. Kyle's a good thing. It's good. You get you some Kyle. People walking around Israel like, man, I got to get my Kyle on. You know what I'm talking about? I need me some Kyle, man. I'm tired of being broke, man. Ain't got no Kyle. Shoo. Give me my education so I can get me some Kyle. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm talking about. Then you get to the book of Zechariah. Zerubbabel is rebuilding the temple of the Lord. He's got this huge task. Facing nearly impossible odds. He doesn't have the resources. He doesn't have the manpower. He doesn't have the materials. And he's surrounded by foreign nations that want to snuff him out and stop the work. And all of a sudden, Zechariah has this vision. In Zechariah chapter 4... I love this. Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who was wakened out of his sleep. I love that. He was awakened as a man, meaning he was awake. But the Lord woke him up. Did you know that the Lord can wake you up when you think you're already awake? I mean, when, the Lord, when revelation happens, the Lord drops something on you. It's like you wake up out of a sleep. You're like, I didn't even know I was asleep. Man, it was like I just woke up, but I thought I was awake. Most of us are asleep and don't know it. The angel said, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking and there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it and seven stand lampstands with seven pipes to the seven lampstands and two olive trees are by it and one on the right of the bowl and one on the left of the bowl. And and what is this, he says. Now, basically what he sees is lampstands and he sees olive trees. The olive trees are producing oil. The lampstands are producing light. Now, we know as New Testament believers that light is always a symbol for revelation and oil is always a symbol for the power of the Holy Spirit. So what he sees is revelation and divine empowerment by the Holy Spirit. And he says, what does this mean? And the angel says, you don't know what this means? He said, no, I don't know what this means. I just asked you what it means. And the angel says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. This is verse 6 of Zechariah 4. This is the word of Zerubbabel. This is what it means. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by Kael, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by Kael. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. I'm getting ready to release revelation. Because Zerubbabel, you're looking around saying, I lack the Kael to finish building this house. And the Spirit of the Lord says, not by Kael. I'm not going to do it this way. The way I've worked with Israel to this point is I simply give you the power to create Kael. And out of that power to create Kael, you build things for me. That's how I did it with Solomon, but not by, with Zerubbabel. 
And the word of the Lord to you tonight is we are not a part of the Solomon generation anymore. We're the Zerubbabel generation. And God is saying, you're not going to do it by Kyle. You know, one of the biggest travesties is that churches try to grow through Kyle. You say, let's try to understand the market. Let's put out a survey and find out what people like about church and what they don't like. Hmm? Let's go door to door and ask people, why, do you, why don't you go to church? Well, if we did this at our church, would you come? Let's do cool things to attract more people. It's Kyle. Let's raise the money to get a better building because if it's a better building, more people will come to a nicer building. We're going to build it through Kyle. Let's get more people involved in ministry. And what we're doing is we're developing Kyle and we're thinking we're going to build the house of the Lord through Kyle. And the word of the Lord is not by Kyle. God's not looking for enough money to build his kingdom. He said the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to him. He said, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by Kyle, not by power, not by anything that is in your vicinity that you can organize to become a force. Zerubbabel's looking around going, I got what I got. How can I organize it and make it a force? And God says, not that way. Not that way. Not by Kyle. Not by your power. Not by your ingenuity. Even the power and ingenuity that I gave you. God said, I'm not even going to do it through the ingenuity that I've given you. How am I going to do it? By my spirit, says the Lord. I'm going to do it by my spirit, meaning that what I'm going to do is about to transcend your expertise. The kingdom of God begins... When we recognize and embrace the fact that what God is about to do transcends our expertise. It transcends your expertise in the marketplace. It transcends your expertise in school. It transcends your expertise in the education field. It transcends your expertise in artistry. It transcends your expertise. It's not by your Kyle. And here's the biggest problem. So many believers are saying, I can't do much for the Lord. Why? I don't have much Kyle. I don't have the Kyle that he has. I don't have the Kyle that she has. I don't have the Kyle that he has. I don't have the marketplace Kyle that he has. I don't have the educational Kyle that she has. I don't have this, this. I don't have the, the, the law Kyle that he has. I don't have that. I don't have, I don't have the Kyle that you have and God says, forget it. Not by Kyle. It's not by the money you're able to save up. It's not by the jobs you're able to get. Not by Kyle, not by power, but by my spirit. The spirit of the Lord is about to cause us to transcend our own Kyle, to even transcend the Kyle that he's given us. And he said the temple will be rebuilt. What he says after this is he said the hands of Zerubbabel laid the foundation of this temple and his hands will finish it, but not by Kyle, but by my spirit, by my spirit. Now, here's the interesting thing. When he says not by Kael here in the Septuagint, the word is dunamis. Not by dunamis. Dunamis is not going to build the kingdom. But yet Paul says the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of dunamis. Isn't it interesting that Paul says dunamis is the kingdom, but Zacharias says it's not dunamis. 
It's because the concept of power in the Old Testament is completely different from the concept of power in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, power is the testimony of men about God, but in the New Testament, power is the testimony of God about God. The testimony of Jesus... Listen, let let me just establish this tonight. God does not need your testimony. Here, a lot of people say, I'm just going to share my testimony. God doesn't need it. God could care less about your testimony. Does that hurt your feelings? Too bad. It's Bible. Jesus said very clearly, I don't receive the testimony of men. The testimony of Jesus is not the testimony of men about Jesus. It's the testimony of God about Jesus. And it's the testimony of God through men about Jesus. God does not need you to testify for Jesus, but God wants to testify for Jesus through you. And He does so in the form of power. But it's not the power of your Kael. It's divine Kael. Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father said in His own power, in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, but 1, 8, but you shall receive power, you shall receive dunamis, you shall receive divine kael, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, not by power, meaning not by your might, not by your power, but by my Spirit, meaning by the power of my Spirit. Jesus says you will receive power, dunamis, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses. Meaning you only bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ through power. And the power of God. Not the power of your excellence in the classroom. There are students that are much more excellent than you. You think getting straight A's testifies to the kingdom of God? People could care less. But when the power of God begins to flow through you, Now, we see it working already in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, they're going to the temple to pray. It's interesting to me that the early church, they worshipped at the temple right next to the Jews who wanted to kill them. The day before Pentecost, they're in an upper room scared to death. And they said, we're going to keep this meeting secret. We're not going to do any public worshipping or praying or preaching or teaching because it can get us killed. We're in a hostile environment, so we better just kind of stay in this upper room and closed the door and the windows and the first thing the Holy Spirit did when he came was blow open the doors and the windows and he turned a private meeting into a public meeting. God is about to expose you. He doesn't need any undercover brothers, any undercover agents. We got some secret agents for Christ out there. It's not what he's looking for. He wants to turn our private meetings into public meetings. He wants a public testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died publicly, but the resurrection happened in private. You know what the public display of the resurrection is? The power of God through you. That's what makes it public. God wants to go public with the resurrection of His Son, but He does so through power when He releases His power through your life. 
That is when demonstrations of the power of God flow through your life, that's the kingdom. I don't care what sphere it's in. I don't care what mountain it's on. Wherever the power of God flows through your life, that's the kingdom of God. That's where the kingdom starts, when power begins to flow through your life. Now, Peter and John, they're going to the the temple to pray. And they have to go through the gate beautiful. And there's a man lame from his mother's womb who's crying out for, for alms. Now, he's been there for years. Jesus walked by him every day, smiled. Didn't even look down on him. He said, no, no, I'm saving this one for Peter and John. They're going to start a revival with this one. You wonder why sometimes you pray for people and they don't get healed? God's saving them from somebody else. You've got to discern the ones that are saved for you. That's why Peter and John, they stop. They hear this man and they hear his voice in the Spirit. And Peter turns and says, look at me. He's perceiving In the spirit. And he says, silver and gold I don't have. And by the way, that's not true. Daily collection came. People were throwing money down at the apostles' feet. He had all kind of silver and gold. (laughs) What he meant was, silver and gold have I not for you. (laughs) That's why when somebody approaches me on the street, I say, I'm sorry, I ain't got none. (laughs) For you. (laughs) <laughs> Unless the Lord tells me to, then I, you know. But, but here's, here, now, I'm going to drop this. I'm going to drop this. In the early church, here's what the contemporary church does. We feed the homeless outside of the church, and then everybody in the church, you're on your own, my brother. You've got to figure it out. Somebody in the church says, I'm broke, I can't pay my bills. We say, well, I'm going to pray for you. Somebody out on the street, you see them, and oh, we've got we to feed the homeless. Let's go out here and let's feed the people. We take care of the people outside the church, not inside. The early church, the Jerusalem church, they took care of their own. The daily distribution was for their people. And people on the outside said, I better join that church. They take care of their own. That's what drew people to the house of God. They saw the way believers took care of each other. Okay, now back to the text. Peter says, look at us. And he looks at them expecting to receive something. And Peter says, nope, no silver and gold. But I do have something for you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up on your feet. And the man stood up and walked. He was strengthened. He was completely healed. And the first place he runs is inside the temple. Why? Because when you're sick and wounded and broken, you can't go in the temple. You'll defile it. First place he went was into the presence of God. That's why he wanted to get healed. He runs into the temple. He starts rejoicing and jumping and shouting. And a crowd of thousands of people gathers to see what happened. And the man is clinging on to Peter and John and thanking them. And Peter looks up and he sees this gathering. And he says, why do you look at us as if by our own power, Kael, or godliness, this man is made whole? Why do you look at us as if we got some Kael? This did not happen by our dunamis. God has glorified His Son, Jesus Christ. This is God's testimony of His Son, Jesus. God just testified to the resurrection of His Son, Jesus, publicly in front of all y'all. You can refute it if you want. Here's the proof. The proof is in the pudding. Listen, your apologetics will not convince people. Your arguments will not convince... You can argue with people till you're blue in the face. Have you ever argued anybody into the kingdom of God? The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who would believe, it's the, it's the wisdom of God and the power of God. You see? 
But when the power of God is made manifest and people are confronted with it and they can't deny it, even the Sanhedrin, when they take Peter and John and they question them, at the end of the day they said, we can't deny it. A notable miracle was worked through them and we can't deny it. We can't deny it. If Listen, make no mistake. We can talk about confronting the culture all we want. The first way we've got to confront this culture is with the power of God. With the, and I don't care where you feel called. You feel called to the marketplace, that's wonderful. You've got to take the power of God to the marketplace. You feel called to education, that's wonderful. You're going to take the power of God there. You call called to the arts and entertainment, you're going to go there in the power of God. It is, it is paramount that we walk in the power of God. It's not an option. We are all called to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but there's only one way we do it. It's through the power of God. The power of God and then we become God's Kael because he organizes us. That's what happened in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came as a rushing mighty wind and fire rested over each person's head. God took this ragtag group of 120 believers that were scared to death and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he organized them so that they became a force. But they became God's Kael. God does not become your Kael. Are you with me tonight? The kingdom of God is power. It's power. It's power. And that's why in Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John were released and they were threatened, they went back to their companions, they reported all that the chief priests had said, and they lifted up their voice to one, in one accord, and they said, Lord, your God, the maker of heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them, who by the mouth of your servant David has said, Why do the nations rage and the kings imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, against your holy servant Jesus. He said, Now, Lord, behold their threats and grant to your servants boldness to proclaim your name by stretching forth your hand to heal and let signs and wonders be done in the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. You know what they prayed? Give us boldness to speak and back it up with miracles, signs, and wonders. Why? Because it's cool? No, because it's power, and it's power that bears witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Natural words. And that's why Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, my message and my preaching to you were not with persuasive words of human wisdom but in demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of God, or in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. I don't want your faith to rest in man's wisdom. I want it to rest in God's power, but your faith will only rest in God's power if you see it, if you encounter it, if you receive it, if it flows through you. Are you hearing me? I don't want anybody to believe because of the eloquence of my speech. I don't want anybody to go home and say, oh, the preacher convinced me, so I believe. Because then they're dependent upon the eloquence of my speech to sustain them. But if you believe because you encountered the power of God, then you will be kept by the power of God. You'll be sustained by the power of God. And you won't look to the preacher. You'll look to the God of the preacher. Are you hearing me today? The power of God. You know, we see the power of God release more in foreign countries. And the deeper we go the more we see the power of God released. The deeper we go, especially we were talking about the island of Neos where the team is just coming back from. When we go into Neos, we see great and mighty miracles. We've seen legs straighten out. I remember the first time I went into one of the deep places in Neos and there was this little boy and the mother just lifted him up. He was five years old. The mother lifted him up to me gave, and he, she handed him to me as if to say healing. Now, no foreigner had ever come to this village before. So they're thinking, these guys, they're talking about God. They must have some power. They just assume we got some power. 
So she hands me her five-year-old son who had never walked before, and the way she handed him to him, it was like she was saying, make him walk. Show me the thing. Show me the money. And so, you know, I did a little religious prayer. I put my hand on the Lord, heal him in Jesus' name. Amen. No? All right, go back to your mama. His leg was curved. He's facing me. His, his right leg was curved so that his left foot, the bottom of it, was touching his, his right leg. I mean, his right, his right foot was touching his left leg. On the, on, I mean, it was, it was round. Literally, it was curved. Completely twisted limb. He had never walked before in his life. And I handed him back to his mother. And as soon as I turned to the next person, the, the word of the Lord came to me. And the Lord said, the kingdom of God is here. And I stopped. I said, wait a minute. If the kingdom of God is here, this boy's going to walk today. I looked at the mother. I said, give me your son. She hands him to me. I sit down and I hold his leg on my hand. And I said, straighten in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that leg went. <laughs> Before my eyes, I'm watching it. I'm like, oh, heck no. That was my first thought. Heck to the no. The mother was crying. She's holding his hand. He's walking for the first time. Unbelief jumped all over me. I grabbed my translator. I said, go ask the mother. That boy could walk before she came in here today. Ask her if he's ever walked before. She said, Pastor, didn't you see what happened? Did, now, when you got to preach to the preacher, because the preacher doesn't believe, but God just did. She, I said, just ask her. She wouldn't ask her. She said, my son has never walked before. Today is the first day. My son has ever walked. Didn't you see his leg? It was curved under. You know what happened? It was a collision of kingdoms. Man, so much faith was born in me that night. We went into the next village, and we did a medical clinic. We had a medical doctor with us, and the medical doctor would, would um, um, diagnose people, send them to the... We had a little uh, pharmacy set up, and she would diagnose them and then prescribe certain medications, send them with the medication, and then the pharmacist would give them the medication. Then they'd come over to the prayer tent. She treated 54 people. 52 of them were instantly healed in the prayer tent and handed their medicine back to the pharmacist because they didn't need it anymore. The power of God began to be released. You know why the power of God... People have asked a lot of questions. Why does the power of God work on the mission field, but it doesn't work like that here in America? And everybody says, because we're so intellectual. That's baloney. You're not that smart. <laughs> don't, you know, don't kid yourself. Well, it's just that we're so brilliant. The power of God does not flow through brilliance. That's the stupidest idea I've ever... You know what I, why it is? We're not desperate for it. And I'm not talking about the world. See, we always blame the world. Well, no, the world, because, you know, the culture here, we're in UC Berkeley, the university's right there, everybody's so intellectual there. It's not them that's the problem. We're not desperate enough for it. We're not having prayer meetings saying, Lord, give us boldness to proclaim your word. We're backing down like a bunch of little punks. Well, I better be quiet. Or we're going about it all wrong, standing on tables and preaching in places. But no demonstrations of power. You want to see the kingdom? Begin to cry out to God for power. 
begin to cry out for, to God for power. You know, there's guys like Jason Westerfield who go to college and university campuses just to refute that whole idea that the power of God can't flow on a university in an intellectual environment. And he sees all kind of miracles happen just walking around campus. You over there, the Lord told me you got this. You over there, the Lord told me you got this. You want to talk about what's going to work as far as an evangelistic strategy? Supernatural evangelism. It is the power of God. You want to work, you want to, you want to transcend the church and actually be a part of the kingdom? We've got to start with power. Got to start with power. You want to be more than a member of a local church? You want to be more than a name on a list and a butt in a seat? You've got to get some power. But I've got good news for you. The power of the Holy Spirit is promised to each and every one of you. To each and every one of us. You see, if it was just about me trying to figure out how to get some power, I'd be in trouble. How to be holy enough, how to be righteous enough. Remember, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. And, uh, you know, getting baptized in the Holy Spirit was the big thing. Getting filled with the Holy Spirit was the big thing. And there were people fasting and praying to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And we were taught the Holy Spirit only comes into a clean vessel. And so you have to purge yourself and be completely clean before you receive the Holy Spirit. And there were people purging themselves for 10 and 20 and 30 years. And they were told, you must still have some sin in your life. You must still have something wrong with you. That's why He doesn't come. Let me tell you something. You'll never get holy without the Holy Spirit. That's why he's called the Holy Spirit. Because he's the spirit that makes you holy. He is the source of holiness. All holiness comes from him. You say, well, I'm unholy. Good, then get the Holy Spirit and let him make you holy. He's promised. John, he baptized people in water. And then he made an announcement one day. He said, there's one coming after me who's greater than I. I'm not worthy to unlatch his sandal." I'm baptizing you in water. But he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Then Jesus says to his disciples there in Acts 1.8, says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But he says, but wait in Jerusalem. Don't go. Wait in Jerusalem until you've been clothed with Kael from on high. And Jesus was speaking Hebrew, not Greek. It's translated into Greek. The New Testament is the first religious book in history that was ever translated out of the original language of its author from the very beginning. It was written in Greek, even though Jesus spoke Hebrew to his disciples. He says, you'll receive Kael when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses. Tonight... God wants to make good on his promise to clothe us with Kyle from heaven. To clothe us with a Kyle that goes beyond human ingenuity. To clothe us with a Kyle that goes beyond what we can do for ourselves, that goes beyond what we can organize. So many of us, we look at our lives and say, I just need to get organized. If I can get it organized, I need to organize my finances. I need to organize my household. I need to organize my books. I need to organize. I need to organize. And if I could just get organized, maybe I could do something. God says, let me organize you. Let me be the power that orders you and establishes you. Let me be the one. You be my Kyle. Let me release my power through you. Let me exert my power in you. 
God wants to empower us tonight. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you tonight that your divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Your divine kael, divine dunamis, it gives us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who calls us by his own glory and goodness. Father, tonight we say that nothing that we have at our disposal is of any value. We count it all rubbish for the excellency of knowing you. Not my power, your power. Not my Kyle, your Kyle. Tonight, we believe you to come and fill us with power. And Lord, right now I refute the lie of the enemy that is speaking to many of the sons and daughters of this house and saying, you're powerless. You don't have any power. That's a lie of the devil. You are sons and daughters of God. You are sons and daughters of God. And sonship is first and foremost a kingdom reality. Because the kingdom of God must be inherited. And it is only inherited by sons and daughters. And sonship, secondly, is a manifestation of divine power. Because Romans chapter 1 says that he was declared to be the son of God with power according to his resurrection of the dead. And it is the power of God that saves you and makes you sons and daughters of God. It is the power of God. And many of you, you have a powerful testimony. It's the power of God working through your life. It's God's testimony through you. It's God's testimony because it's God who can say, look what I did in this man's life. Look what I did in this woman's life. Look at the pit I pulled her out of. Look at the muck and mire. Look where I set her foot. I set his foot on solid ground. It's God's testimony. And God is boasting over you tonight. He's saying, look at the one I saved. The one that I redeemed by my power and by my, my hand. Look at the blessing that I've caused to break out in their life. Look at the success I've given them. Look what I've done. It's God's testimony in your life. But tonight God says, I've got more. I've got more Kael for you. It's my Kael, not yours. It starts with you relinquishing your own. It starts with you saying, God, I have nothing. And ends with you saying, but God, you have everything. And I received your everything, and I traded in exchange for my nothing. I surrender all. If you look at the tabernacle, the three stations of the tabernacle, the outer court, the inner court, and then the Holy of Holies. In the outer court, there was nothing but the golden laver where they washed and washed and washed and the brazen altar where they sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed. And so many believers live in the outer court where it's just washing and sacrificing and washing and sacrificing and washing and sacrificing. Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me of my sins, forgive me of my sins. It's the realm where children dwell, where John says, I write to you little children because your sins have been forgiven for the sake of his name. Where you're learning forgiveness of sins, laying the same foundation of repentance from dead works over and over and over again. But then... There's the priests who pass into the inner court where there's the bread of the presence and there's the golden lampstand. The lampstand gets light, which means revelation. Suddenly you come into that inner court and you begin to receive revelation and God begins to speak to you powerfully and you begin to eat the bread of the presence. And it's more than just being forgiven of sin, but now you're actually encountering the very presence of God. God wants to take you into the inner court where suddenly you eat the bread of the presence and you receive the light of revelation. 
But in order to go into the inner court, the priest had to finish washing himself and had to strip himself and had to shave himself. You've got to be stripped of everything before you enter into that inner court. God takes everything away. He takes away all of the kyle of the priest. He takes away all of the wealth of the priest and everything that the priest has. That's why he says to the man, give all of your goods to feed the poor and come follow me and you'll have riches in heaven because he strips you before he clothes you. But then the priest goes into the inner court and he begins to eat the bread of the presence and receive the light of revelation. But then he goes beyond the presence, past the veil, into the throne room. And it says that we come boldly before the throne of grace. We go boldly into that throne room to receive grace. There when we come into the throne room, we're clothed with everything we were stripped of. That's why Jesus said anyone who gives up houses or lands or wives or children for my sake and for the gospel will not fail to receive 100-fold in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. Whatever He strips you of, He clothes you with it. He clothes you with it 100-fold, but it, be, it comes back as His Kyle. It's stripped of you as your Kyle, but it comes back as His Kyle. It's stripped of you as your kingdom, but it comes back as His kingdom. It's stripped of you as your righteousness, but it comes back as His righteousness. Many of you have been in that stripping process where he's been stripping you, stripping you, stripping you as you've been about to enter into the inner court. Many of you have entered into that inner court and you've been eating the bread of presence and you've been looking through the light of revelation for the longest time, but now God says it's time to go deeper. I'm taking you beyond the presence. I'm taking you past the presence. I'm taking you into the very throne room and you're going to begin to stand before the throne of grace and you're going to receive grace. And grace is not just the forgiveness of sin, that's mercy. Grace is not just when God doesn't give you what you deserve. That's mercy. But grace is when He gives you what you don't deserve. Mercy is when He doesn't give you what you deserve. Grace is when He gives you what you don't deserve. Grace is empowerment. Grace is power. Grace is Kyle. And He says, you come before the throne of grace and you receive grace. And tonight, you are coming before the throne of grace to receive power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I just feel the power of God beginning to fall on this place right now. I feel the power of God beginning to rest on His sons and daughters right now. You are the recipients of the power of God. You are the sons and daughters of God, and you have been declared to be sons and daughters of God with power through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is His divine power. It is His divine power that gives you everything necessary for life and godliness. I want you just to open up your hearts and hands and say, God, I receive your power. Just begin to say, God, I receive your power. Just receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And you believe that you're receiving power tonight. You believe that the Holy Spirit is coming to empower you. Wherever you feel weak, the power of God comes to overcome that weak place. The power of God overcomes every weakness. That's why Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. He's coming to strengthen you right now. It's going to affect even your physical body. The power of God comes to strengthen you in every place of weakness. He comes to break the power of weakness from off of your life. The power of God is coming to lift you up and make you bold as a lion. Make you bold in the place where you have been timid. He has not given you a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He's given you a spirit that makes you powerful. Hallelujah. Father, we just release the power of God in this house right now. Let the power of God just be released mightily in this house. Let it come upon this house like a mighty rushing wind. Let it come upon this house like a mighty rushing wind right now. The power of God is the power that makes you free. 
Isaiah said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty those who are bound. The power of God comes to set at liberty those who are bound. The power of God comes to open prison doors for those in chains of darkness. Prisoners are being set free tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus. The power of God is the power of freedom. The power of God is the power of liberty. The power of God is the power that sets you free from every form of captivity. I say that you cannot be in bondage. You cannot be in bondage because tonight the power of God sets you free. The power of God is being released in this house tonight. Just receive it right now. Receive freedom. Receive freedom. The kingdom of God is power. It's not a matter of word. It's a matter of power. It's a matter of power. Lord, I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom and revelation that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe. It is like the working of your mighty power which you exerted in Christ Jesus when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand, far above all power and principality and dominion and might, and every name that is named, both in this age and that which is to come. The Kyle of God, it overcomes the Kyle of the devil. The Kyle of God, it overcomes the Kyle of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against Kyles and principalities. It's the Kyle of the devil that we wrestle against, but it is the Kyle of God that overcomes it. And we say, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Hallelujah. Come on, stand up and begin to declare it. Greater is he, greater is he who is in you than he is in the world. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, says the Lord. You will be my witnesses. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now just begin to worship him. Just begin to worship him. We worship you for your power. We thank you for your divine power. We thank you for your divine power. Father, let there be a great release of your power. Father, begin to sweep through this auditorium and heal the sick right now. Those that are sick, let your power heal them right now. Let there be demonstrations of your power. Those that are bound, set them free right now. I command every bondage to break in the name of Jesus. I command every shackle to crack in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, you are free tonight. You are free in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We will walk in your power. We will walk in your power. We will walk in your power. Yes, God. Yes, God. Do it tonight. Do it tonight. Fullness of power. The fullness of the Spirit. Strengthen us with might in the inner man by your Spirit. Hallelujah. Strengthen us with Kael in the inner man by your Spirit. Strengthen us with Dunamis in the inner man by your Spirit. Hallelujah. 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 Yes, God. Yes, God. It's done. It's done. It's done. It's done. Father, I thank you for it right now. Thank you that your power is resting upon your people tonight. I just sense the Spirit of God just hovering over this people today. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, God. We thank you, God. We thank you, God. We receive your power tonight. 
Mm. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Mm. Hallelujah. Mm. The kingdom of God is power. From this day forward, you will never allow the devil to tell you that you have no power. You will never allow the devil to tell you that you're weak. You'll never allow the devil to tell you that you're defeated. But you'll declare, I am strong. Because I have not received a spirit of timidity, but of love and of power and of soundness of mind. And so you have love, you have power, and you have soundness of mind. And you cannot be defeated. You cannot be defeated. Amen. Amen. Tomorrow morning, first service, I'm going to talk about righteousness. The kingdom of God is power, but it's also righteousness. We're going to talk about what that means. It's also peace. A lot of believers pursue peace, but not righteousness. A lot of believers pursue power, but not peace. You've got to have all four components. And you may be seeking power, but you allow the devil to rob you of your joy. And you've got something far short of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is power, but it's also righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. All four of them come through the Holy Spirit. Because the kingdom of God is established on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit whom we've received. Amen? Amen. Father, I speak your blessing over this gathering tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen.